Hey everybody, before we get this show started today, we wanted to mention a little bit of information on a Jurassic Park fan who is going through a bit of a rough patch at the moment and could certainly use some support by this amazing Jurassic Park community. Many of us have become aware recently of Andrew and his diagnosis via Kaylee Harris on Twitter. Here's a bit of information from her post. This is Andrew Basaga. He is 12 years old and was recently diagnosed with osteosarcoma, bone cancer, in his right hip in November of 2017. Since then, he has gone through weeks of chemotherapy followed by limb salvaging surgery and is currently receiving additional weeks of chemotherapy treatments, hopefully to be finished by July. He is such a great kid and has always loved dinosaurs. Because of this, Imagine Theater in Frankfurt, Illinois, donated one of their auditoriums to Andrew to privately premiere the movie Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Their reclining chairs are comfortable for Andrew because he is still recovering from his surgery. If anybody involved in the Jurassic films can do anything to make his night extra special, it would be greatly appreciated. I know even the smallest gesture would put the biggest smile on his face, which is really what he needs right now. Thank you in advance. So that was the message from Kaylee on Twitter. Now, in the light of all this outpouring support from this fandom, they have actually gone ahead and set up a P.O. box for Andrew where we can send everything and show our support for him and make things just a little bit better for him. So please, take a second, write this down. I'm going to give you the P.O. box right now so you can send him anything awesome Jurassic-related. A lot of stuff is, is popping up in stores for Fallen Kingdom, uh, so check any of your local Walmarts, Targets, even Toys R Us has some stuff, and send it out to, to Andrew here. So I'm going to give you his P.O. box right now. It's Andrew Basaga, B-I-S-A-G-A, P.O. Box 64, St. John, Indiana. 46373. Again, send it to Andrew Basaga, P.O. Box 64, St. John, Indiana, 46373. Thanks again, everybody, and stay strong, Andrew. Everyone, remain calm. Yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. And later there's running and World. You're listening to the Jurassic Park Podcast. You want to consult here or in my bungalow? <laughs> Hold on to your butt. Well, we're back. Hello and welcome to the 145th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In this episode, we do have a few pieces of news to go over, so Aaron Beyer will join us once again. We're going to take a look at the fan celebration out at Universal Studios Hollywood, and we're also going to take a look at some of the winners from one half of the Tongle Jurassic Park contest. I also got a few of the Mattel pieces, so we're going to take a quick look at some of those. After that, we present episode 20 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. Now, last episode featured somebody being pulled from the river and a possible cure for dinosaur outbreaks. In store for us this week is basically a full integration with the story from Jurassic Park 3, and then we're going to begin to see the ending of how that movie came about and the context from behind the action on film. 
After Extinction Level, I'll give my thoughts in the after show, wrapping up some of the best moments from episode 20. Following that, Arjun will give us a quick look at some of the extinct scenes from Extinction Level. Following that, we're going to hear from Justin Kylie and Mike the Trike with Volume 3 of The Missing Compies. This time, they'll be chatting about whether or not Jurassic Park, the film, did Jurassic Park, the novel, any justice. Did the film hold up to the world that the novel created? Well, we're going to find out as Justin and Mike discuss the differences. Rounding out the episode, we're going to dive back into the audio lab again this week and hear more juicy content from Jeff Goldblum. He's been more like a Jeff Goldmine, if you know what I mean, in, <laughs> in the audio content recently. So any chance we get, you'll hear it here first or second, third, fourth whenever you get to this podcast. This time, he talks about pleading his case for the role of Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park. Stay tuned. A little bit of housekeeping before we move forward. The bonus episode from last week featured Tom Fishenden chatting with Charlotte over at Funko Europe about what's next in the Jurassic Funko line and the happenings at Funko Europe. Special thanks to Tom for getting out there to record all that audio and take some great pictures for last week's blog post and of course the bonus podcast. Please don't forget to find it in your feed, download it, take a listen, and let us know what you think. We also have another bonus episode in the works. Not sure which one we're going to air just yet, but definitely stay tuned for another bonus episode on Thursday. And a little bit of podcasting news here. I was actually on two separate podcasts last week, not my own. And uh, the first one was See Jurassic Right with Stephen Morris, obviously talking about all things Jurassic Park in his mini episode number 10 uh, called My Boombox. I actually told a fun little story on his podcast there about this time that I had to bring my boombox to school for a presentation about Jurassic Park. So go check that out on his feed. It's a great one. His podcasts are always really awesome. Next up, I was on Victoria Cantina's Cantina Chatter podcast, and we actually discussed Star Wars Rebels, kind of a retrospective, talking about basically the entire series as a whole, but mostly focusing in on the final season and the last few episodes. Star Wars is another huge love of mine, so I I certainly had plenty to talk about with Victoria. We had a great time, recorded for a while, so go check that one out. I'm going to be putting both the links for these episodes in the show notes. And lastly, I did join a brand new podcast. Well, brand new of sorts. It's actually a reboot of a podcast called Grim Grinning Hosts. It's a theme park podcast that talks about all kinds of things theme parks. Doesn't matter which one. Any kind of theme park topics are on the table. And I'm going to be the fourth host in that team. It's going to be awesome. It's debuting at the end of this month, so stay tuned. And in the meantime, go follow the Twitter handle at GGH Podcast for all the updates when everything's coming out. Stay tuned. It's going to be a lot of fun. But anyway, enough of all that. We have a packed episode, as always, with a ton of segments. So why don't we get this one started off with a bit of Jurassic news from around the world. Eighteen minutes and your company catches up on ten years of research. Access rate program. Access security. These pictures were taken in hospital in Costa Rica 48 hours ago. I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but look. Boy, my head being right all the time. It's day. I guarantee it. All right, so back again in the news with Aaron Beyer. How you doing, Aaron? I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you? Good. We got a few pieces of news to go over. So uh, why don't we start here with the Jurassic Park celebration, the 25th anniversary. It's kind of like a fan celebration that they're holding out at uh, Universal Studios Hollywood. Uh, did you hear all about this one? Yeah. Womp womp. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because it was 
It's a, it's a month away. It's uh, May 11th and 12th, and it is now the beginning of April or so, and um, yeah, it, it's it's too late of notice, essentially, for, for a lot of people, because if you're in California, good, awesome, go to this for sure, but a lot of people that I've been talking to have been having a hard time uh, figuring out plans or finding time off or the money at this last second to go out there and celebrate with all the fans. So I'm kind of, it's it's like a, you know, double-edged sword. I'm like, yeah, this is great, but also, ah, kind of stinks for those who can't make it. Yeah, you know, I would have liked to have gone to this. Um, I feel, I mean, like, this is the movie that got me into movies, um, you know, so, and I work in the in the film industry, so I really would have liked to have been able to make it out to California uh, for this. I would have taken the time off, and had I known they were going to do something, mm-hmm you know like this i would have put the money aside to make sure it could happen but like even when i decided to go do the jurassic world exhibition with you guys that was a super last minute decision and it cost a small fortune getting plane tickets that that quickly you know and and hotels and um you know i used to live in burbank i lived in burbank for uh in the surrounding area like well i more or less lived in glendale but it's right next to burbank but i lived out there for uh, four or five years and Los Angeles or that part of Los Angeles isn't exactly like super like tourist friendly. I mean, if you vacation out there, it's definitely worth checking out where all the studios are at and doing any backlot tours. But it's not like there's like a ton of like resorts and hotels in that region. Um, It kind of surprises me that they didn't do this in Orlando where people could have actually made like a vacation destination like out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to say there's not plenty to do in the Los Angeles area, uh, but other than it being other than watching the movie at the studio where it was uh filmed which by the way unless they're gonna open up the actual sound stage you're not watching it at the studio where it was filmed like if you're gonna be watching it at city walk i don't think city walk was even in existence when the movie <laughs> came out so no. yeah. this is so weird to me i don't i don't understand why they're not doing this in orlando where there's an actual jurassic park land yeah it is kind of weird in that sense that could have been awesome to kind of celebrate on both coasts and a lot of the people in, you know overseas in london and all over the world are actually like ah you know like I, I even those people would have gotten the chance they would have booked tickets but they don't have that opportunity now it's last second it really should have been uh released you know all this information should have been released earlier um but uh, you know aside from all that stuff it's a shame our tickets got lost in the mail somewhere but uh, we're still trying to figure it out because we'd love to cover this um so we're working on it yeah um, i mean i would absolutely love to cover it uh you know if if i could figure out a way to get out there um you know, at, at such a last minute thing. Uh, yeah. But, you know, again, I, I kind of hope that I hope the people that can go. I know we've got some uh, collaborators here that are, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Plenty of people out there. So that's that's. A yeah. Thing. Plenty of people that we we know are are, are getting tickets for this thing. Uh, a friend of mine from work just uh, posted that he's going. But again, he lives in Burbank, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it's, it's great for people out there or, you know, tourists that, you know, had a vacation planned uh, for Los Angeles at the time. Uh, you know, and this is kind of like an extra little thing they can do, and that's totally worth it. But yeah, I think for the hardcore community, um, had we known longer, like January, right? Like mm-hmm. if they would have announced this in January, uh, I think that would have been a much more realistic thing. Obviously, they can't announce it like a year out. Uh, but yeah, I think that it would have gotten a lot more of the actual uh, like podcasting fan base and video fan base out there. Um, 
you know, but but hopefully the people that get to go have a great time. Yeah. So what these people that will be attending uh, for one hundred and twenty nine dollars, you can get a day night pass. You can like visit the park and all that. There's also just an event admission for sixty nine dollars. Um, and this all includes, um, you know, the uh, May 11th, uh, that, that event begins at uh, 5.30 p.m., ends at 12.40 a.m. And Saturday is May 12th, begins at 5 and ends at 12. Um, so you have to buy tickets individually for those days. You can't just buy one and cover both days. Uh, what you get for that uh, ticket price, though, is a private screening of the original film on, you know, in their city walk area. So not in the park, not really in a studio, as it says. You also get photo ops with raptors. Okay, that's that's pretty standard for your admission to the park. Um, dress up and um, uh, you know as any of your characters, so you can come into the the park, I guess, as any of the, the characters that you want to, and uh, prove that you're an ultimate Jurassic Park expert in a larger than life trivia game. So that sounds fun. Um, exclusive after hours um, uh, face off against the giant 50 foot T Rex on Jurassic Park: The Ride. So after hours access is kind of cool. That's good because you you want to not deal with all those crowds, you know. Yeah, and you know, Universal Studios, the theme park, isn't usually open very late. Uh, uh, yeah. When I lived next to the one in Orlando, oh. I want to say throughout the year, <laughs> seven p.m., dude. It's yeah, crazy. seven p.m. and that yeah. thing closes. So, um, what is actually really cool about the Jurassic Park ride is that it's super fun to ride at night because it gives mm-hmm. it kind of like an extra little eerie uh, touch. Um, and the lights that are involved with like the the special effects are really cool. Uh, so, yeah, riding that thing at night that's totally worth that's totally worth going. Oh, and absolutely. May- Maybe one of the benefits to this is it does, doesn't it say there's going to be like uh, like special exhibits and stuff? Yeah, it says explore a showcase of props from the original film, get a glimpse into the future of the Jurassic Park franchise, be on the lookout for Jurassic themed items from merchandise and food, um, interactive demos, uh, dance your fossils off with our modern Stone Age DJ and tunes. So they're going to have like a basically uh, a stage set up. There may be panels of sorts, so if you're going to get a glimpse into the future of the Jurassic franchise, maybe maybe like a panel or something uh, with some sort of footage or something. I don't know. Just don't take my word for that, but it could be possible. Um, so that's fun to look out for, at least. Yeah, I mean, if there's going to be a panel, maybe, you know, Colin or Jay will be there to, you know, maybe drop a hint. But honestly, like... A glimpse into the Jurassic future, like this is on May 11th. I honestly don't think they're going to be talking too much about the sixth installment. I feel like they're oh, just going to no, be no, there no. promoting like, the new movie, which one. everyone yeah. has seen trailers for. Yeah, so. yeah, this current one that's about to come out. So by that point, it'll be a month, thir- you know, a little, yeah, just around a month out, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. So that's probably what you're going to get there. Um, and like I said, this is $129 for that day-night pass. Do that because that's a good deal for the park. You know, you get to do all that stuff during the event. Jurassic the Park, uh, Jurassic Park: The Ride is open, and I guess select attractions outside of that will remain open. Um, so this is a good deal. I'd say, you know, if you're out in California, for sure, do not miss this. If you're in the surrounding areas, definitely go. But yeah, if you can try to book a plane out uh, hotel, it's going to be tough. But uh, you know, we're all going to give it our best shot. Yeah, and if you've never been to Universal Studios in California, um, and maybe like this is something you're interested in doing, but you know you've heard like, oh, it's not as good as Orlando. Um, a lot of people would definitely take that stance. I stand by the fact that I think they take all the best stuff from Orlando and condense it into one amusement park. Uh, so to me, like the California one's my favorite. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure even about though that. there's not a Jurassic <laughs> Park land 
that sits around doing nothing. <laughs> well, that's all besides the point. If you guys want to find the links for all this information, head to our show notes. Next up, we have a little bit of information on the Tongle Relive giveaway. If you guys saw this a, a few months back, uh, this company Tongle teamed up with Jurassic World or Jurassic Park or whoever, Universal, to run a giveaway um, for everybody to submit videos. You could either relive the franchise and your memories of Jurassic Park or recreate. And they haven't really announced all the recreate uh, winners just yet. It looks like there's maybe 21 winners announced so far out of 25. Um, but go check anyway. See if your name's on that list. I actually, you know, am familiar with a lot of those names. Uh, so keep checking on there. That'll probably end pretty soon. And uh, you'll be able to see all the winners. And actually, uh, the Relive one, like I said, is open right now to, to go and check out all the winners. And if you are a winner, make sure you sign in and go out and fill out all these forms. Because there's winner forms. There's like three different ones um, to go get your prize. If you're not filling those out in time, you might not get your prize. So uh, go check those out because there's a lot of people on that list. Like I said, 25 people. We have um, Andy Peterson actually won the prize. The big like $1,000 prize. A bunch of like Jurassic World prize pots and all kinds of stuff. He created um, a great video with animation talking about like the first time he saw the film. Um, I actually messaged him. We're working on getting him on the show. Uh, we're going to discuss some of his uh, submission and his history with the film. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Aaron, did you ever get a chance to submit a video for this? No, I don't know what happened, man. I don't know how I missed it. Like, yeah, I listen to the podcast every week. I have no clue how I missed this. Like, oh, I mean, don't this worry, is where yeah. I, this is where I get my news from is, is this podcast, right? Because like you guys, everyone is doing a great job of like funneling all the information into like a one week, you know, like like one like sector. And this is where I get my Jurassic Park fill. And I must have been in some kind of crunch or just super yeah, busy or something. And I, I completely it. missed it. <laughs> Yeah, I mentioned it back then, and and because it was last second, it was like, oh, hey, here, here's this contest. Go, uh, you know, fill out your videos. You only have like a week or so to submit it, and um, it was it was intense, man. I was kind of worried that the process of signing up for this would scare people away because you had to fill out so many forms. You had to fill out release forms for your re for your uh, location for anybody else in the video. You had to beware of any logos of outside products or anything else. So it was kind of it was kind of scary filling out all this stuff, but um, a lot of people did it, and uh, we have a lot of the winners already, so it's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I wish I would have been able to to get a video in. I mean, like I said earlier, Jurassic Park is the reason I work in the film industry, and yeah. um, having worked on uh, two of the movies in the franchise in the three D, <laughs> you know, in the three D aspect, like. I, I don't know how I missed it. I would have loved to have been able to tell that story. Yeah. Like I said, it was probably just that time crunch where you uh, missed out, and it was a very quick turnaround. So uh, I'm not uh, I'm not surprised. A lot of people did miss out on this, and we're kind of surprised to see it, um, you know, the entries closed. So anyway, you can definitely find all that stuff. Go check out our show notes. There's a lot of information there, and you can check out all the winners. <laughs> Lastly, here in the news, we just kind of wanted to cover a lot of the Mattel stuff that's actually been showing up all across the internet. If you're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or anything, you've seen these toys. They're everywhere. They're popping up in so many stores. Uh, toys R Us, Target, Walmart, probably some more. I don't know. Aaron, uh, how are you feeling about all this? Um, you are dead to me. <laughs> I know. Just, I, I, I feel so bad. Just I, oh. dead to me. <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. Um, you know, I I went through a lot just trying to find this stuff. I've been to several uh, Toys R Us, and we all know what's going on over there. It's not doing too well. Um, I went to many Targets. Um, I went to a bunch of Walmarts, which is I just hate doing, but I did. I went out there, and I actually, the last one I went to, I found a, to a ton of stuff. Like, it had a lot of stuff. Still, there was a few pieces that definitely weren't there. Um, but I felt super lucky in that case because I've searched far and wide and finally I went to um, a Walmart super center and um, Actually a Toys R Us on that same day. I found two. I found things at both of those stores. So yeah, it's crazy out there, man I just haven't had a chance to get out of the city. So I have one I have a Walmart and a Toys R Us right in the same mall mm -hmm. um, on my bus route home and so I've been checking that out a couple times a week, but the super center is yeah, maybe like a 15, 20 minute drive and I've been getting off work real late lately. So mm. uh, I haven't had a chance to make it out there. However, when I get into the States, uh, I'm going back to the States uh, in a couple of weeks here uh, for a wedding. And so once I get into the States, there are targets and Walmarts like in every direction, like within 10 and 15 minutes away from my parents' house. So oh, yeah. I'm gonna hit, and it'll be after the release date of the toys. So I'm gonna hit that up super hard. Yeah, uh, and get you know as as much as I possibly can. I saw today like someone posted um, a combo pack from Target that's got you know all different kinds of dinosaurs and it's got different paint jobs for like you know they're they're like custom paint jobs compared to like the ones that you buy individually and like there was two Gallimimus in there with two I'm pretty sure different paint jobs oh, yeah. than the standard one. So uh, that's really cool. We're just. We're finding more and more and more about what's going to be hitting the shelves, like the first wave. And, you know, like the Jurassic Park Legacy stuff I thought was coming way later than it is. It's it's going to be the first wave of stuff, I guess, at Target here in the States. Yeah. So it's, you know, already that's, there. it's just crazy. It's already there. I, I've seen so many people picking up this Legacy stuff already. And I'm, yeah, I thought the same thing. I thought maybe later down the line, but it's out like it's it's there and not every Target. Mine doesn't have it. My target is always really bad, so um, it never has all the stuff that I want. But um, I've seen people with, you know, Muldoon, Grant, Ellie. I haven't seen anybody picking up Malcolm yet, but um, they've got the Jeeps. They've got all kinds of stuff, the, the Legacy T-Rex, um, all that stuff. Um, for me, I got, I picked up the Gallimimus, um, the uh, Blue. I picked up Blue in individual packaging. I picked up the Carnotaurus. Baryonyx, Allosaurus, and the uh, Gyrosphere Blast Vehicle. Um, that thing is huge. Um, all this stuff is awesome. Like, I am super impressed with this stuff. The paint jobs look fantastic. You know, like, when you see that stuff released at toy fairs or, or special, you know, meetings and all that stuff, you're like, okay, it might not look as good when it hits the shelves. But this stuff does. It looks identical. It looks just as good. Um, the sound quality, dude, is fantastic. I'm really blown away by how good they sound. I don't know if it'll really come across here on the podcast, but... But they sound great. Um, and they're loud, and they're, and they're awesome. Like, you can tell the difference between the dinosaurs. Um, the packaging is so good. It's like the best packaging. It's awesome. I mean, that's saying a lot compared to the old stuff, but this stuff is beautiful. I'm not much of a, you know, keep your stuff in a packaging guy, but I'm I'm not sure, man. This stuff is so good in the packaging. I don't know what to do, but No, take it out. It's meant I, to be played with. Take I know, it out. I know. That's that's how I am always. But and I've always said that to everybody, but I'm looking at it, I'm like, man, this stuff is beautiful in these packages. I just I need to like 
carefully take them out so I can like maybe place them in just for fun. Um, but I, I gotta say, just go out, search Target, search Walmart. Um, Walmart has probably been the best bet so far, um, but uh, just search everywhere because it's all out there. And it's uh, as of this recording, when you're listening to this, it's a week out from the official release. So hopefully we'll see more stuff in about a week. I don't know. Yeah, you know, and if you're like me and you're putting yourself through a little bit of uh, self-induced stress over the fact that everyone is getting these ahead of you, just remember these are not like, I mean, they're collectible, but they're not like, they're not high-end collectible things. So they're going to be out. They're going to be everywhere. I just keep telling myself, like, don't worry. They're out there. They're coming. Like, they will be on the shelf. So, uh, you know, hopefully... You know, hopefully that that remains to be the case. I saw, I did see someone today though got a mosasaur. I was pretty jealous. That was I the know. first one yeah. I saw on Facebook. Someone got a mosasaur, and I was first like, I cannot believe it. It's in the first wave. Yeah, so, so awesome, dude. And I'm kind of disappointed that we're not getting uh, a Force Friday type event. You know, all the Star Wars stuff gets released on that like Friday, a few months before the release of the film. Um, so I'm kind of disappointed we're not getting that type of hype event. But this is a lot smaller of a fandom than Star Wars, so I kind of expect that in that sense. But uh, definitely disappointed that we're not getting like an initial, like everybody go out to the stores at midnight hype train. That would be so much fun. But uh, maybe next time. You know, maybe, you know, people at Universal, I don't know if you guys have heard, there's a little thing called Jurassic June that all the fans celebrate. It's an entire month of Jurassic Park celebration. So, like, you know, the Jurassic World toys didn't come out until like two weeks before the movie hit. Um, I feel like there's no reason why that these toys couldn't have been released on June 1st and make it like a big event out of it. Like 25th anniversary and Jurassic World uh, Fallen Kingdom and just June 1, everything in one go. You know, the video games, the toys, the just everything. That would have been awesome. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of that story that Jay told on one of his recent uh, bonus episodes. He talked about having the toys before he even saw the movie. And um, I can just imagine right now, kids are purchasing these or their parents are buying them for them. And I'm just wondering, like, what are the stories that these kids are telling before they even know what this movie's about? Um, So that's really exciting, at least. I'm hoping kids are getting these because way too many adults, myself included, are are hitting every store and probably buying as much as they can. And I I do sort of feel bad about that. Oh, I think there's going to be plenty of available for kids. Like I said, these are just these are general audience, uh, you know, items to, to buy and collect. And so I think for sure that there'll be kids and, you know. We're, we're trying to figure out a way to to celebrate the toys release and the 25th anniversary and to get more kids involved with the podcast. So uh, stay tuned for that. All right. So um, we have about a lot of pictures. I have um, a video of myself actually on the hunt out at the stores. Go check that out on our YouTube. But uh, thanks again, Aaron, for joining me. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, man. Have a good week. Oh, there it is. There it is. And now, episode 20 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. Previously on Extinction Level Jurassic Park. That, my friends, out there in the field ahead, is Dr. Wu's wonderful new creation, Spinosaurus. You know you're paying for the damage of that car, right? Let's wait a while and be sure that thing's gone, and then we'll go after them. I bet you they come out that door again anyway. They must have gone in. All right, let's go in and take a peek. One guy in there is paragliding. They'll be down there. We need to go to the south entrance and get them out there. Henry. What is it? I think you've got to come see this for yourself. I think you've done it. I thought you'd give the samples to the galleys. I did. And see, that one's running around in there. 
I had a bit left and gave it to the trike, and it worked. Henry, it worked. You genius, you've done it. Dr. Harding, Dr. Wu, the Navy is coming in and they're gonna destroy the island. Henry, you've got to continue your work. Let me try to deal with this. Dr. Wu, please try to be ready for evacuation in an hour. Let's see if we can locate them from out here and get them to come our way. Down there, a body. There's somebody floating down there. Dr. Grant? This is the man you know? I thought so, but no. That hat you're holding looks like the man I thought was Dr. Grant was wearing at the research facility. Episode 20, Rope's End. At the base of the aviary, Hoskins, his team and Tim looked down on Sarah performing CPR on the man that Dennis had just pulled from the river. Suddenly the man starts to cough and throw up water. <coughs> Sarah helps him onto his side to spew the water out. On his side, with his eyes closed, facing down the, to the ground, the man leans weakly on his left arm. Then Billy Brennan talks. Thanks, Amanda. He coughs a few more times, still not fully aware of his surroundings. Who's Amanda? Not recognizing the voice, Billy turns to look around and sees the five guards, Tim, Sarah and Hoskins, standing there looking at him. Who are you? Trying to move, he drops through his arm and rolls back onto his back, looking up at Hoskins. Hurt, Billy groans. The question is, who are you? Get him inside the car. He can explain back to the village. I'll call it in. Hoskins takes his walkie-talkie, presses the button to speak, and remembers he turned it off. He switches the device on, and it starts crackling. Presses the send button. Engine control, this is the retrieval team. We've encountered the visitors and picked one of them up at the aviary. We lost the others, over. Vic? Christ, finally! You need to come back in. We'll be evacuated in about an hour. Do you read? Come back in, over? Can't come back in, we haven't found the other visitors yet. What do you mean, evac? Over. Long story, just get back here. Over and out. Damn. Alright, here's what we do. You guys all go back to that guy in the transport compartment. Then he turns to Billy. You! How many more of you are out there? I think he needs some rest. I need to know. Hey, you! I three and a kid. Kid! Ah, uh. Christ. Okay, that'll fit. Hoskins throws the hat he pulled earlier out of the river onto Billy. You keep that. I'll continue with the other car and get the others. You go back. All okay. right, Correcting sir. Sarah, Hoskins turns at her. I wasn't talking to you. You just make sure he'll be able to explain himself when I get back. And he walks past them, back into the tunnel to get into the car without the transport compartment. The one back in the tunnel and drives the car in reverse back up the tunnel. Let's get him in the car and go back to the village. Gently the guards pick up the groaning Billy Brennan and put him in the back of the car in the transport compartment. Sarah and Tim get in there with him and guard Dennis joins them too. Laura gets in the driver's seat and Bob calls shotgun. Sydney and Andy got in the back seats of the car. Trying to support Billy, Sarah sighs. Then to the driver she calls out. Drive carefully, okay? In the control tower at the worker village, Jerry Harding was discussing the situation with the commander, with the three control workers looking at them and keeping an eye on a clock. Time was starting to run short. There are people out on the island, and Henry has found a cure. We can't let them evacuate us now. Don't you think I tried? What do you want me to do? Whenever that Navy captain calls in again, just tell him. Sir, they're hailing us. And the control worker puts the call on speaker. Engine control, this is the captain of the USS Carl Vinson. The helicopters will land on your location in 20 minutes. Have your men ready to be picked up. Confirm. Over. Jerry Harding walked over to the control worker station and picked up a horn for communication. 
He pressed the send button. Captain, this is Dr. Hardin. Not all our men are in yet. Over. They have 20 minutes. Over. You're just going to blow them up? We have the cure. If you blow us up, you'll blow that up with us. Abort your mission. Over. Short moment of silence. <laughs> nice try. If you have the cure, be sure to bring it with you. We have our orders, and we will not be delayed. Get ready. Over and out. Bloody hell. In frustration, he slams the horn back down. Twice. The retrieval team was already out of the jungle, on their way back, driving over a jungle road. Their engine Humvee bumping along. Tim, Sarah and Gardenis were trying to support Billy Brandon from hitting the floor too hard with each bump in the transport compartment. Leaves of trees lashed against the side of the car. Clouds were coming in and the skies were turning dark. Billy was groaning as the car bumps over another pothole, or a rock on the road, with Sarah unsuccessfully supporting him. She leaned back to the front to call out to the driver. Can you slow it down? We have an injured man back here. Guard Sydney and Andy both look back from the back seats through the center window. Without looking back, the driver responds. You heard control. We should be there for evac. But that guy gets there ASAP so he can be treated properly. Drops start to fall on the windshield as it starts to rain. Great. Laura flicks on the windshield wipers. Vision quickly becoming less through the darkening world, jungle and rain. As rain starts to come down harder, they hardly notice the ground started trembling, and suddenly the car is hit by something, lifting up the right side of the car by the impact, throwing Sarah, Tim, Dennis and Billy against the left side. What the- Billy groans loudly, and the car drives on, slamming back on the ground. What was that? Through the back opening of the transport compartment, Sarah sees an animal lying on its side, trying to get up after they hit. As they take distance, two more animals appear from the jungle line, turning to run along with the car. We've been hit by a gallimimus. Looks like it's okay. Through the rain, they leave the jungle onto a field. Around their car, about 20 gallimimus are now running along with them. From the back seats, guards Sydney and Andy are both looking out the window, smiling. This is great! They should have this on the tour! <laughs> Amazing! Laura looks very serious. Driving among these animals takes all her concentrations not to hit any of them. From the transport compartment they can't get to the sides, but they can see some of the Gallimimus a little ahead of the car through the small opening on the front, and some of the animals behind them through the waving pieces of cloth flapping at the back of the car. The animals look dark and glistening wet from the rain. Wow! <laughs> Tim holds on tight with one hand to the side of the compartment and grips his gun with the other. Sarah, seeing him taking his gun, responds surprised. What is it, Tim? They're harmless. Birds. Flocking. No clue what Tim just said. Comment. She turns her attention back to Billy, who groans again as the car bumps on the field. Easy, you're doing okay. Halfway through the field, the Gallimimus group suddenly takes a turn to the left and flocks around the car, away from their path. Hey, where are they going? Oh god! In a short moment, when her headlights driving beam had shown ahead of the jungle line, Laura spotted the dark shapes waiting there and she slammed the brakes. Everyone was thrown forward in the car. Arm yourselves! Sliding through the dark grass, the car leaving deep muddy tracks. Slides to a halt on the field in the heavy rain. Huskins arrived at the top of a cliff and was now listening to the sounds of the Spinosaurus, which must be down below in the river. He stopped near the edge, his headlights shone down onto the river, and he noticed the Spinosaurus who once again found their visitors, who were so preoccupied with the Spinosaurus that was attacking them that they didn't notice his lights shining down. Huskins looked down and he was almost sure that he would be able to turn back to the village with the sad news that none of the others had made it. 
he looked amazed like one of those guys climbing on top of a crane and another firing a flare, lighting up the petrol from the sunken boat around the Spinosaurus, which then walked off. It wasn't time to go back yet. He had to get down there. In this episode you heard myself as Billy Brennan and Tim Murphy, Jaroslav Kosmina as Vic Hoskins, Jay and Ted's segment Jay Jurassic as Control Worker Number 1, PDH Network's Jennifer Tarek as Sarah Harding, Jurassic Outpost's Jack Delamar as Sorna Commander, Jay and Ted's segment Ted Brothers as the Navy Captain, Victoria's Cantina Victoria as Guard Laura, Bauke van der Schaaf as Guard Dennis, Matteo at Jurassic Talk underscore BE as Guard Sydney, Jurassic Cast Podcast Sam Phillips as Guard Andy, and at Nilis1983 as Guard Bob. Thank you for listening again and until the next time of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. Alright, so that was episode 20 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. That one was called Ropes End. Um, guys, I really, I really love this thing. I just love Extinction Level so much. This one gave me so many good feelings. I just... I love the atmosphere he created here. Everything about it was so tense and so um, awe-inspiring and just so reminiscent of what we see in these movies. I absolutely loved it. Um, this one starts off uh, basically, you know, as the other ones do, right from, from where they left off. They're pulling this man from the river, and we've already known that it's it's Billy. Um, they don't have any idea. They're, the Sarah's over there giving him CPR. He's coughing up water. He's really confused. Nobody knows who he is. Um, and he is certainly unaware of, like, his surroundings and what's going on. Who are these people? I, I, you know, he's on this island alone, essentially, with Grant and, and Amanda and Paul and, and now Eric and, and the other few that died. And um, he's confused. Who are these people? Um, but he's alive. He's fine. And thanks to Sarah. That's awesome. I mean... That's something we had no idea about, obviously, from Jurassic Park 3. When you watch Jurassic Park 3 now, you can see him in the uh, uh, boat or helicopter. I forget what he was in at the end of that movie. A boat, I guess. Um, and, um, yeah, just think Sarah saved him. Like, that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, nobody knows who anybody is in this moment. Um, but they call it back to the tower. They say they found somebody. And the tower lets them know about this evac. And it's so funny. Like, so many episodes later, people are still finding out about this evac. And we have way less time now. It's like getting down to the wire here. And um, this, uh, Vic Hoskins is, is um, trying to find out about... Um, he just found out about that evac. Now he's trying to find out about this guy and who else is here on this island and um, so there's a few things that go on here a little banter back and forth but they end up sending Billy back um, with uh, Sarah and Tim and a few others they go to uh, you know somewhere to get him some help Vic actually takes the other car to go find the others because as we know they go strolling down the river in their boat and they they try to get out of there they think Billy's dead at this point and uh, eventually they come into some contact later on. You all know about that. Um, but back at the tower, we switch back to a different place here. And this tower, you know, with the commander and the different workers in there. Now, Jerry Harding is now in this tower and he's speaking with the, the Sorna commander. He's always yelling. He's just always frantic and never knows what's happening. And he's just getting all this information as well. But, um, God, and, and, and Jerry is like, guys, 
we can't do this. Like, we can't evacuate now. There's people out there. There might be a cure. This is it. We're, we're fine. It's going to be fine, guys. And, and if a Navy guy calls back, just tell him, don't worry about it. Everything's good. Just, you can leave. It's all fine. Um, but the Navy captain actually calls, like, you know, speak of the devil. There he is. He calls right there and lets them know that their helicopters will be landing on Sorna in 20 minutes. Uh, so that's very quick. Very quick. I mean, they haven't been able to track down these people fully. They're getting very close. And, um... They have only 20 minutes to get out of this jungle, and uh, this this tower has to get everything together. Um, but I don't know if that's going to happen, because I feel like they're sticking their ground. They're like, well, I guess the Navy's going to have to blow us up, essentially, because we have this cure, and I think we can do it. We can save them. But the, the Navy guy's like, that's funny. Ha. Huh. The, the helicopters are going to be there. You better leave. It's getting blown up. Uh, they just don't care. That's just the way it is. It's their job. That's what they have to do. They've been called upon to destroy this island, and the guy in the Navy is just like, bring the cure. That's it. That's all I'm going to tell you. Bring the cure. Um, because there's no salvaging it at this point aside from that. So maybe we can fix some of the outbreaks that have happened off of these islands. Um, but for now, that's about it. We go back to Tim, Sarah, and Billy, and uh, they're in another car with a few other people, and they're riding through the jungle. It's getting dark. It starts storming and raining. Um, I love that about this show, that um, the sound atmosphere of all this stuff. So you hear this rain and the storm start going, and all of a sudden you hear the ground trembling, and they're talking about it, and, and all of a sudden something smashes into the car. And, and these people are having the worst time in these vehicles, you know? Stuff is smashing into them constantly. I think that's the danger of driving a vehicle on a dinosaur island, I guess. Um, but so something smashes into it. They don't really know what's going on. They actually do notice that it's a Gallimimus. Looks like the thing's hurt or whatever, but I think it gets back up. Um, and it turns out that they're basically with like a horde, a horde? A herd. That's what I was going for. A herd of Gallimimus and they're all flocking in a certain direction. And eventually, like, a lot of them are pouring out of the jungle, and they're kind of going along with them, and it, it, it's really fun. At this moment, you know, that terror kind of subsides, and you're like, oh, wow, this is, like, really awesome. Everybody in this car is kind of experiencing what should be felt at Jurassic Park. Um, or in, you know, now Jurassic World. We saw that moment in Jurassic World where they're in that big Jeep, and, um... You know, the, the Gallimimus are just floating across the, uh, the Gyrosphere Valley, or wherever that is. And it's just awesome. It's awesome to kind of interact with those dinosaurs like that. They're getting that chance right now, but Tim knows better, you know? Tim has been a part of a flock before. He's been flocked upon several, or once at least, and um, he's scared. And you know it, you can kind of feel that tension that he knows. You know, he's been in this situation before, and we've noticed it a few times in this series alone that Tim kind of gets this, like, spidey sense, I feel like, about what's about to happen. You know, he's seen it. He knows. So he kind of gets a handle on his, his weapon just in case. And nobody knows why. Like, Sarah's like, God, hey, this is, it's fine. They're just, you know, veggie sources. Uh, Tim, you know, be, be cool. Don't, don't shoot any of these Gallimimus, you know, it's fine. But Tim knows better. And something happens. We don't get a good idea of, as to what happens, but a dark shadow, uh, you know, comes in the frame. Laura swerves and the vehicle's sliding all over the place. And then it just ends right there, that section of this uh, episode. But what what happened? Do we expect a T-Rex or do we expect the Spinosaurus? Well, I don't think we're supposed to expect the Spinosaurus due to what comes next. But 
yeah, I mean, what what happened? What what was out there? Something obviously scared them, and I think probably something's in the way. And, oh, man, I can't wait to find out what it is. But um, we do cut back to Hoskins, and he actually found the people. So he's overlooking them. Uh, they're down, you know, in the river, in the rain, and uh, it's very dark. And, and um, he's looking down. He's got his headlights on, and he can't really do anything because they're a little bit too far away. And he hears this roar, and he, he basically knows, oh, no. The Spinosaurus is down there attacking them. Uh, you know, I don't know if there's anything we can do. I'm kind of afraid that I'm going to have to go back and tell them nobody made it out alive. Um, so he's kind of like giving up at that moment. But one of the guys below climbs a crane, fires a flare, ignites the gas, and scares away the Spino. I mean, we know. We know what happened. It's Jurassic Park 3. Basically, the ending of this movie, essentially. So we're getting very close to the, the ending, the complete ending of that movie. We only have a few more minutes left after this. But um, this is one of the best moments, I think, in Jurassic Park 3. Um, is that moment when the T-Rex, uh, the Spinosaurus, is attacking them at that you know area in the, the lake, river, wherever. And yeah, it's just so intense. The Spinosaurus looks incredible in that moment. And I can visualize exactly what Arjun is painting here. It's so good. So I can I can see that because it's already been created. But now we're just kind of witnessing it from a different angle. And that's what I love about this series. I say it every week. I love that it, it weaves in all these different stories through Jurassic Park 3 and prior to that Lost World. So I love how it intertwines all this stuff. And um, I guess, you know, it makes it a little bit more hopeful for Hoskins to help save them. But if we think about it, I mean... Hoskins gets off the island, and so do the other people below. So what happens? I mean, is is I guess Hoskins would be the guy to say, "Hey, Navy, they're heading. We need we need some boats and helicopters and all that stuff over on this beach over here. I'll give you the location." And then maybe right after uh, you know, essentially the credits roll in Jurassic Park Three, Hoskins walks out of the jungle. That's kind of what I'm assuming here. But uh, that's a little bit ahead of it, uh, the schedule here. So we'll get to that hopefully eventually. I don't know what's going to happen there. But I just love this episode so, so much. Everybody did a great job, as always. And I, one of the things I really loved about this episode uh, was the use of soundtrack or scores from, uh, uh, from Twister. I, I just love Twister. You know, as a whole, I love that movie so, so much. I love the score. It's so indicative of, of that type of environment, the stormy nature of it all, the uh, darkness, the, the scary aspects of it all. So I think it was perfect for this, for this episode here. And uh, it just really makes me want to do it. Uh, this, this one uh, podcast review we had talked about with Jack Ewens, I was doing one with him uh, for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. We were joking around at that time or whether it was that time or um, when he was actually on our episode, I think. we actually Yeah, we actually talked about it on our episode here. And, uh, oh man, I would love to talk Twister more. I love that movie so much. And I thought it added... Um, just uh, a good sense, uh, like a, something solid to this episode that, that was awesome. I just love that score so, so much. So there you have it. That's my quick look at Extinction Level Episode 20. Stay tuned. In two more weeks, we'll have Episode 21 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. We're out of a job. Don't you mean extinct? Extinct scenes, or scenes that didn't make the cut into extinction level, part six. 
In this part I want to mention a sequence from the second screenplay that was mostly inspired by Michael Crichton's novel The Lost World. After confusing an Allosaurus nesting ground for that of a Herrerasaurus, and the returning adult group of Allosauruses broke up the military group on Nublar, Tim, Nick and one of the soldiers would get separated from the rest. They would continue in the direction of the visitor center in the hope to be able to contact someone from there. On their way, they would hear a hooting sound and screaming, which turned out to be their commander that was attacked by a Dilophosaurus, a yellow adult with black spots. They imagined that the crest was an addition to young animals, which they would lose growing up. Their commander had been spit in the eyes, blinding him. The three rescued their commander and continued to arrive and dressed in a maintenance building. Tim had found something for them to eat and they would go to sleep for a while. Waking up, still day, they would discover that the soldier with them, who had been mentioned earlier that his family held an ostrich farm back home, was outside and had captured a young but still big Gallimimus from a herd that had come to graze in the field around the maintenance building while they were sleeping. Confident, the soldier planned to ride the Gallimimus to the visitor center to get help to them. He had covered its eyes and climbing onto the animal, he'd removed the blinders and he would take off, bumpy, but still on top of the animal he would disappear into the jungle. While waiting on news, the Tyrannosaurus would appear on the field and attack the three men waiting in the maintenance building, breaking through the roof, but not through the walls, and when it turned dark, the Tyrannosaurus would walk off unsuccessful. Meanwhile, the commander needed to go to the bathroom, which the maintenance building had not. Still blinded, he would find a way outside, grumpy and refusing help, he found his own way. Something was off. While looking outside, Tim and Nick saw nothing, but heard heavy breathing, which the commander heard too, until a splash of something wet, hot and sticky dropped on top of him. Saliva. Two Carnotauruses that could camouflage. Realizing too late what had happened, the commander was a goner. Shining a light on them seemed to irritate them, their bodies trying to adapt to the change, like described in Michael Crichton's novel. Then a small group of other remaining soldiers would arrive in a car, shining their light on the animal. But scared to draw the animal's attention, they quickly dimmed their lights and stopped, to which Tim and Nick started shouting, Turn the lights back on! A reverse reference to the Jurassic Park main road attack by the Tyrannosaurus. With their lights, they would scare off the Carnotauruses, and Nick and Tim would be rescued to take the car to the visitor center and contact someone to get off of Isla Nublar. The soldier that would ride off on the Gallimimus was never to be heard of again. His fate left to guess. Listen. Copies. I read your book. So. I got turned around in here. What's high here? Is this a bird or something? Yeah. Did you read Malcolm's book? You don't want to know. And I appreciate that. And then my teacher told me about this other book by a guy named Backer, and he. Oh, it's. It's great. Mommy! Daddy! You've got to come see this! I found something! Raya! When he and Jen played out, they left a lot of stuff behind. Zerk? Sure. This is T-Rex P. I read both of your books. Oh, that's two things that we have in common. Hey y'all, welcome to the Missing Copies segment here on Jurassic Park Podcast. Wow, I can't talk today, guys. Um, and gals. Um, no, this is going to be the uh, the Missing Copies segment for today on uh, Brad Joe's Jurassic Park Podcast. Once again, I want to thank Brad for letting us come on his awesome podcast and talk about some uh, Jurassic Park stuff. 
Uh, we suck at intros here, so this is just <laughs> what it's going to be, isn't it? Um, I'm your host for this segment, Justin Kiley. I'm joined by uh, my co-host and good friend, Mike Trag. How's it going, guys? All right, and we're going to just real quick, it's, it's probably not going to be too long today, but we're going to talk about how we feel about Jurassic Park, the novel, compared to the film, just the first half of the book, really. So chapters like 1 through 29, I think is what we're on. Yeah, that's what we're through. Right okay, now. so before we even go any further, guys, we love Jurassic Park. It's my favorite movie. I love all the movies uh, equally, which I know is not every fan can say that, um, but I really do. I, I'll be honest, I don't love them equally. <clears throat> all right, However, well, there you go. <laughs> No, go. There's no movie that I wouldn't watch again. Okay, well, there you go. So, so the point is, we do not hate Jurassic Park. So if for some reason this comes off as we are, um, how would you say it? Um, we can't swear on this. Um, beating Jurassic Park, we're not trying to, to beat Jurassic Park. It's just we are looking at the novel, and that's where we're coming from. Just trying to make comparisons, which ones yeah. do you think are better versus which ones are worse. Yeah, so. Not that one is bad it's just one might be better yeah so. yeah yeah i think that's a pretty good way to put it yeah and um i think the, the big question for this segment today is going to be so far does the jurassic park film the first film all the other films we're not talking about the other films because they all took parts from the first book and they more some of them did it better than others but they all took parts we're not talking about that did jurassic park do the book justice so far Hmm. See, this is an interesting question because I, I don't think do it did. It, yeah, I, I, I don't think it did. So far, no, I can't say it's doing justice at all. I mean, but uh, I mean, at the same time, back in the nineties. No, yeah, I mean it's ninety three. It's PG thirteen, which is a big problem. It, well, that that is I mean, very true. Very for, true. for doing it justice, that's a big problem. That is a big problem. But I mean, you you can. You couldn't have done an R-rated version back then. Well, no, and especially not with a budget. I mean, oh, yeah. at the time, like that was an ex- it's you know it was an expensive so, movie. Mean, you know, for making it a PG thirteen movie, it did all right, I guess. Um, but I mean, the lack of dinosaurs in it is a a big problem. Little problem, yeah. Yeah, I agree. No, I agree. I don't agree Com- with compared the- to the book. You know, I mean, the book you're seeing dinosaurs right from the get go. Well, yeah, it's a. Like, as soon as they land throughout it, you know. Yeah, no, you have a tour. Yeah. You're, you're seeing a ton of dinosaurs. Yeah, and I mean... You see the T-Rex, you see the raptors. Can we talk about the raptor pen? Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> I I love Jurassic Park and Steven Spielberg and, like, the raptor out pen they made in that movie is an amazing piece of, like, production design. Yeah, it is. It really is. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, it looks awesome. Um, is it at all close to the book? No. No. Okay. Um, I mean, just I I don't know. Like they I, built a fortress for the movie. They did. They, yeah. They built a dog kennel. Yes, more <laughs> or less. It's got two. It's got two. Uh, two walls though, or two chain link. Uh, okay. You know. So, so they built a uh, prison. Yes. I yes. mean, essentially, I mean, you know, you, two, you know, two it's fences. also literally in the book. It's literally like right behind the visitor center. Right. Right. Which in the well, film we don't know where that thing is. I was gonna say is. in the film you don't have a clue. No, and we're not we are not counting maps or, or things that came out like wow. after we're talking only what you see yeah. in the film. Vi- we know they walk to it, but we don't know Anything where else. it is. Yeah. <laughs> so it's somewhere. 
Yeah. Um, I know in maps it's like close, but in the book it's literally like right behind it. And there's also a goat pen, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And the, uh, the generator area, the, the two-story uh, generator room. Underground. Uh, underground, yeah. Stores. Yeah, which we're seeing a little bit in Fallen Kingdom, I think. We're going to see that, that underground facility. And we did see it a little bit in the first movie. Yeah. Uh, but again, we don't know where it was. We know it was kind of near the raptor pen. So actually, I guess in that respect, we know that at least the generator was by the raptor pen. Yeah, that's true. You know, why they decided to put that <laughs> put that there, I don't know. I don't understand that in either media. I don't know why he'd put the raptor pen by the visitor center in either case. Um, I mean, well, right? Well, you know, you got Hammond, nothing. obviously in the book, is an I idiot. think there's an issue with raptors in anyway. I give Hammond in the book more of a pass on that than I do Hammond in the film because I think Hammond in the book is even more in denial or <laughs> stupid. I don't know what you want. To, I don't want to say stupid, but he's even more messed up. Yeah. Than you know, like like movie Hammond seems kind of like he's got it together. Yeah. You know, no, like it, it does he, seem like he that. seems like he actually cares and. Like about the animals and everything. No, like, I agree with that. So, that's yeah. totally different from the book. But, I right. mean, at the same time, the fortress that they have built in the movie. Yeah, and you don't see the raptors, which really, like, there was a piece of concept art that's done by, uh, I think it was by Crash McCurry, of, like, the scene from the book, of seeing the the one, like, raptor uh, jumping up on that fence and the other two. Right. Like, that would have been so cool in a movie. And, think, like, yeah, I mean... I agree, but for movie-wise, I think it was a little bit better not to show them. Not to show them. To keep, the, so the Jaws mentality? Yeah. I don't like the Jaws mentality. I'm telling everybody right now. You don't like Jaws? I do like Jaws. I just don't like the Jaws. I don't... Um, I am not a hide-it creature guy. There's two schools of thought. You either hide the monster, well, not the dinosaurs and monsters, but you either hide the creature or you show the creature. And some people think it's scarier to hide, but which is a Jaws mentality. It's not like they hid everything. They just did this with just the raptor. Yeah, but it's I mean, still the, the Jaws mentality. The come right out. No, you get the Rex come out at the attack, not like in the book where the Rex comes out right away. It's the same mentality. They hid the Rex and they hid the raptors. Yes and no, I mean... We're not on the Rex yet. You're skipping ahead. We're still talking about the raptor pet. Okay. We're talking about the whole first half of the book. All right. Number one, fine. We're not fine. skipping ahead to anything. All right. Well. Number two, there's nothing built up when they're sitting at the Rex pen other than there's a goat sitting there. You don't hear anything. You don't see nothing. Wait. For which one? For the Rex. For the movie? Yes. Well, yeah. I know there's nothing built up. It's lame. You said they were doing the same thing as they did for the raptors. Oh, you mean, you mean because of the goat, or not the goat, the um, cow? The raptors, they actually... Yeah, the cow going down and yeah. ripping it apart. Yeah. Okay, that's that's true. I'm not but saying then, the movie's bad. I like the movie. I just I'm wanted... I'm not saying you're saying the movie's bad. No, I'm I... I'm saying it's not the same thing. Well, like, they didn't do that for all the dinos. They just did that for just the raptors. True. Whereas there are plenty of other scary dinosaurs... Obviously, I just like that the I like that. I think whole, it worked just, really well for the the okay. actors in the movie. Oh, that's all I'm saying. No, I'm not saying the book is bad how they're doing it. I'm just saying for well, visually seeing that as in the theaters, I, I think to I be think it's a great way. To go. I think to be fair to the book too, though, the book had that horrific opening, so you know, like those raptors are like nothing to ma- like. Okay, the movie. Has its opening scene, yeah. but you don't see anything, yeah. and it doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, 
And I only I only say that because I don't understand that attack no. sequence. That is, yeah, that I don't zero get it. I just um, don't. It's a great scene. So it's, it's it's a classic. It, you know, it's it's like Jaws. It'll go down in movie history. It's one of the best openings ever. I <laughs> I love it, but I don't get how that raptor lifted a dude up into the air. I also don't get why Muldoon's got a shotgun. Doesn't just walk around the corner and blow it away, like. You know, actually, let's talk about that. Eventually, he does start screaming, shooter. Yeah. But, yeah, that's true. But let's talk about the guns real quick. The guns? You mean the fact that there were guns? Yes. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, um, movie, there's guns everywhere. Well, because I think it creates a plot hole. Because so far in the book, Um, there's no gun. Okay. Yeah, because, like, just hear me out. If, let's say that that. Just the first half of the book. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm just saying, like, that scene. Like, let's think about it. Okay, in the that book... That scene doesn't exist in the book. I know. But okay. my, my point is, if you have guns, mm-hmm. right, dude's getting bitten by a raptor. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you would just walk around and shoot the raptor in the face. Mm-hmm. Okay? By not by the book not having guns in the book, really, you don't have to worry about that sort of plot hole. My, my sense is, like, my point is that it's a plot hole in the sense of it's just not... Why didn't anyone just shoot the darn thing? Like it in the book, you don't have the ability to shoot it, right? Okay. So, and also in the book, so, it, it escaped and it killed somebody while they were probably just you know had their backs to you know like we don't know what that what those construction workers were doing at the time that they were attacked and killed. Whereas in the movie, like there's like fifty guys around, like nobody. Thought, I guarantee you, they're all under orders not to harm any of the animals like, mm, that's because true. of Hammond. Yeah. Think about that. I mean, in a movie? Again, yeah, did yeah, they? Guaranteed. Yeah, yeah so but do you think... I, until uh, he starts yelling, shoot her, they're probably not going to. Yeah, but then it still makes me wonder. I still don't get um, how it lifts... I'm sorry. I keep going about it. I just, that shot bothers me when it lifts the dude up in the air. I just don't like okay, that shot. No one can explain that because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> period. I All just right. want somebody to just explain physically, it. Physically, it's not... Possible? Yes. No, so it's not therefore, possible. therefore... Just okay, up. wait. I got Just a better. I got up. another question about that scene. Oh boy. No, no, this one's easy. Where somebody can probably tell us. Um, where was what was that raptor about? What what was? What kind of question is that? No, like I mean, I'm what saying like where about? like why was it in that cage? They were bringing it from the other island. Okay. Goodbye, that. I know you didn't want to get into the other. Movies. I didn't because the book. Yeah, I didn't. It, but well, I mean, I guess it, in, in film canon that would work. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work in book canon in any shape or form. Shit. Number one, in film, the book, film, that never happens. No, so. film canon that works. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You got me on that one. <laughs> it's a great scene. I mean, I really do love that whole sequence. I just, I always thought in my head, like, screw, I mean, yeah, okay, maybe Hammond had an order, but like, screw Hammond. I would have just blown that thing away. And I still think giving them all guns. Was a, was a dumb move on Spielberg's also, part. I mean, that cage it's in, you'd have to stick the barrel in through... No, I think they could have just walked around where Muldoon was, because if a raptor's busy chewing on him... Well... Right? I mean, he's busy. Well, you just go around the, the side. The problem is there's already other raptors in that pen that they're trying to get... Well, but, yeah, but then that makes so a whole new... So by walking around over there, they're just also exposing themselves. Yeah, but that makes a whole new other problem, which is why didn't those raptors just come out and kill... I don't... What? <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> Way to go, Mike. Somebody's we're gonna get so much hate mail for this. <laughs> I never even thought about that. You Why did, up the Raptors? All right, moving not. on, moving on. We love Jurassic. We do. Uh, let's get away from that scene. It's it's causing problems. Um, 
Let's talk about characters real quick. There's many of them. Yes, let's talk about are any characters from the book remotely clo- remotely close to the movie character. Any of them? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, start talking. Why? Because we have to talk. It's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Brad's going to kill sorry, us. Sorry, guys. I just like to give Justin a Hey, there's gals listening, too. We can't be sexist like that. <laughs> anyway... Guys and gals, sorry about that. Um, what were they even saying? I don't, I don't know. know. Characters that are actually close to book characters. Oh, um, well, I'd say Grant's not that far off. Yeah, except in the book, he loves kids. Okay, well, he's a barrel-chested man of forty. He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Well, he's got a beard. Okay, are you talking dead on? Because then, yeah, no one is going to be exactly. No, I, I meant yeah, but the whole thing, kids thing, like that's a pretty large character trait. Mm, yes and no. I mean, you're right. That's not as different as some of them, but it is still a character trait. That's yeah. a big plot line in the movie. That, oh, yeah. you know, Muldoon like seems a to be huge plot. Similar as well. Um, Arnold. No, I'd agree with Muldoon. It's just Muldoon who doesn't have any screen time in the film. <laughs> well, I agree, but poor Robert Pack. That's why it makes it easy for him to be updated. Well, it's okay. They made another one. It's called Roland from Lost World. <laughs> John Arnold. No, that one's spot on, actually. Yeah, yeah. That one's pretty darn close. Yeah, okay, also not so. That far off. Well, except he's like older, way older. And his motivations are not anywhere near as. Motivations? Uh, well, in the book, like in the, okay. in the book, he has a better motivation, I think, for doing Like in the movie, it's just kind of like he's a greedy fat slob. I guess. Yeah, it's a book, but. I don't know. I just feel like you get a. You know what I'm saying? Like he has a team in the book and everything. I don't know, he's gonna Nedry doesn't come off as like such a bumbling idiot so far. Um Yeah. I mean I don't know. Again, that might be me skipping ahead a little bit. But Alright, well fine, let's well, talk you about you have read the book versus I'm well, just I've, currently reading. I'll it. Say I've read that book like once for the last I've read it a lot. I've seen the movie a lot too, but I've I've read the book a lot. Um well, let's talk about how about the characters that are like the most different. Because I can think of two. I guess my and my big reason for saying that the like the movie. I don't know if the movie does a big justice. Well, besides the like the tone of it is probably two of the characters. Well, Hammond seems to be pretty different. Yeah, I like Hammond in the book a lot. I mean, I love Hammond movie Hammond. Like Sir Richard Antenberg is an awesome actor. Yeah. But I, I do wish he was more like like book Hammond. Because I think it's a little more interesting. Oh, he, it's more interesting. You know, he's he's, <laughs> he's not a not such a great guy. He's a no. He's a <laughs> oh, we can't we can't swear on this. He's a he's a jerk. Yeah. Uh, to put yeah, it politely, I mean, he's arrogant. <laughs> he's completely in denial. Yeah. He really doesn't care about anybody or anything other than, I guess, making money. I mean, we don't even really have that spelled out yet. That's just me skimming out a little yes, bit. But yes, we do. Oh, do we? Yeah. Good, then I'm not skipping ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, but he, he just, he, he wants money. He straight up says, you know, it's about money, so. Yeah, I mean, he, he he's completely different. There's, like, no similarity at all. And he's very hands-off, too. Yeah. You know, in the movie, like, he's kind of yeah. always there. It's It makes it seem like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, you know. We don't see that, you know, he lives there or nothing, but. No, he does have that cool bungalow, though. Which is kind of awesome. In the movie? No, in the in the oh, book. I'm oh. saying. 
Oh, I was just talking about the movie. Oh, no. Anyway. Yeah, no, the movie, he's, like, always there. In the movie, it seems like he, like, lives there. Like, he loves... Really? Yeah, I thought so. In the film. I don't know. Yeah, I always got the feeling he really cared about... He cared. Like, like cared I about... Don't, I don't um, know about necessarily that. I got the feeling that he lived really? there. I guess I got the feeling he was there a lot. Because yeah, he has that line in the movie about how he's, like, always there when they're born and everything. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I always got the feeling he really... Like cared, yeah. He, you know, I'm not saying that he didn't care. I just well, no, but get the impression that he lived there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but you are. But well, yeah, but that's not what we're here to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not today. Um, well, okay, so yeah, Hammond totally different, and um, I think Malcolm's completely different. Like almost completely. Like I'd say there's almost. It's kind of like Hammond. I don't know what parallels there. Chaos dude. That's pretty vague. <laughs> considering he says it yeah. He's he, trying to get some the only reason similarity he, for The you, only right? reason he uses this in the movie is to flirt with uh Ellie Sattler, so Yeah, which you know, I mean doesn't happen in the book. Um no, no. in any shape or form. No. Um actually there's another character that's completely uh no almost no similarities. I can't think of any in Ellie Sattler. Ellie? Yeah, she's not. She's she's, she's about twenty years younger. She's female. Yeah, that's that's good, Mike. You're, that's well, you said any. All right, fine. She's female. People. That's blonde. Blonde female. Yeah. That's about it. Um, I think that's actually it. I would agree that that's yeah. it. Because in the yeah in the book she's like. Botanist? No, because in the movie she's actually a botanist. In the book she's a grad student. So. Yeah, she's a grad student that wants to be like she's not even yeah, there's there's no similarity there. You just, you get a that's not a nitpick. That's a straight up. There's no botanist, similarity. No. She's also getting no, ma- she's also she, grad student trying to be a botanist versus botanist. Okay. That's, she's also nitpicking. All right, all right, fine. So how about this? She's not really she's not interested in Grant in a romantic way in any shape, way, or form well, in the book. I, hmm. I don't know. And Grant's not interested in her in that way, it doesn't seem like. No. So I mean that's a massive. I mean, the age difference is quite large. Compared. About twenty years, but you know. Well, yeah, but that's not like that in the movie. No, they're in the movie. They're I mean the movie makes sense. They're what, but probably about the same age. Uh, um, I never thought it didn't make sense in the film. You know what I mean? Like that they made until I read the book. I the book like when I first read the book after seeing the because like, I saw the movie before the book. Yeah. Like that was crazy. I was like, holy crap! That's that's just complete one eighty. I mean, there's just no, I don't know, but yeah, pretty pretty different. So let's see, Malcolm, Hammond, Ellie, totally different characters. Yeah. Grant. I guess. I'd say Grant and Wu and Nedry are probably pretty close. Woo! Wu didn't really have much of a... I was going to say, you can't compare yeah, unless you're going to Jurassic World. Yeah, well... For, hey, at least, they, at least they finally kind of got his character out in the world. And even then it wasn't quite look accurate, but... Um, <clears throat> I just reminded you that you said you were not going into Jurassic World. Yeah, way to fail, Mike. We're not talking Jurassic World in this. Yeah. Well, hey, to be fair, actually, Wu's character, the two seconds he's in Jurassic Park, are pretty book accurate. Like, his attitude and everything. Yeah. Like, that's pretty book. He's only in it two seconds. Uh, Whereas in the book, he's an actual character. But that's kind of like Ed Regis, who's not even, he's not even in the movie. 
Matt Regis is the PR guy. Yeah, yeah. He's a huge part of the book. Yeah. Well, he's he, yeah. every yeah. He's they made Hammond Regis. Pretty much, yeah. So I mean, because you had to have that, because they made Hammond a good guy, and you can't. You had to have somebody doing that. So I mean, it's, guy. he's pretty good in the movie. Pretty good. Not you know, a little a little crazy, but I mean, he's he's pretty good. I mean, you know, it's hard not to love you know Anton. But I think if you're gonna do the book Hammond, I don't know if you could have cast Richard Antonberg. I think he would have needed to cast somebody that was different. I don't I think he would have been. He's not what I picture as evil Hammond or no. book Hammond. No. So, you know, it's good casting in that sense. But, yeah, definitely not a book at all. Uh, how about building designs? Because we've, we've got a lot of those, and that's... That is nothing like... Is there well, a, just just the sheer number of buildings for True. One. Is there a single building in the book that's even kind of like what's in the movie? Um, right? I can't think of one. Kind of? Even the fences aren't... Like, even the fences are completely different. Hmm, what fences? Like, the actual... Uh, okay. Containment fences? Yeah, that's true. Have we, no, those are pretty close. I guess I'm thinking of mainly of the perimeter fence. Which goes around a lot. Well, that doesn't even exist. That doesn't even exist. I was going to say that doesn't exist. Yeah, except there's a weird perimeter fence in the film. Where? When Tim and uh, Lex, remember Tim gets electrocuted? He's on the perimeter fence. Yeah. Yeah. What What is that fence doing? Dividing some type of... Yeah, I just don't know where it is. It's a perimeter fence, not a containment fence. I'm sure they weren't concerned about explaining to us which exactly that was. Yeah, I know. I know. I just always wondered. Like, I, I wish... I don't know. Did somebody make a map of of that to like show where that fence was I guarantee you somebody in the community has got to have tried to figure that out because I just I don't know what that fence was a perimeter to but anyways no yeah okay so we're we're in agreement but none of those are anything like there's no similarities no I don't think right I mean we can't really talk about it so we wouldn't but Jurassic World is much closer (laughs) to, to book design or to the book designs but yeah, not Jurassic Park. And um, you just keep bringing that up. I have to because there's nothing. <laughs> there's just nothing. That, you can't compare Jurassic Park to the book. There's nothing. Like, there, what would you say? The, okay, we're halfway through the book. What would you say the percentage is as far as like book to movie? Okay, 10% or no, 1%. There's nothing. They, they took the name and the, the vague idea, right? And 100% is like, yeah, it's totally spot on. Because I'd give it like a five. That is such an overstatement that's not even fun. Five percent? That that doesn't even make sense. I don't know, man. I, I way. You think it's if high you're or low? Percentage? Yeah. Okay. What, way what percentage? higher than that. Okay, we'll go. That's why I said it. I wanted to see what you would say. Five percent? That doesn't. That means I took names. <laughs> I don't know. Every person. Fine, 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 fine. All right, hold on. And that hold would on. Be let, me, let me think about this. I'll give, it, I'll give it 35. Uh, no, it's still higher than that. You think it's higher than 35? Yes. This is such I mean, a random conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone that's listening is like, come on. These get these guys need to just stop. <laughs> 35. All right. I'll right, um, just give you number 65. No, it was not that high. Are you yes, kidding me? Yeah. There's no way it's that high. We're, already, we're halfway through the book. They've already cut out like five major plot lines. No. There's no way. Actually, let's talk about real quick plot lines. So, what are the two? Oh, actually, there's more than two. Uh, 
okay, so let's talk about cut out like plot lines from the book to movie. So we have we have the fact that Ingen and Hammond are lying about the Raptors getting out and killing some of the construction workers. Correct. Big plot line. Yeah. We have dinosaurs that have escaped the island and are killing babies on the mainland. Again. Of Costa Rica. Yeah. You say that like that's a big plot line, but as far as we are in the book, that's not a big plot line. Well, it's a plot line in the sense that there's dinosaurs escaping. Mm. We know that dinosaurs escaped. Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, other than that, it, it's they're just, just little copies, nothing really. They're just, they're just killing out. babies. Just just killing children. Mm. That's, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> babies' lives matter. I'm just like, saying as far as, like... It's still a big plot line because it's animals getting off. Like, that's a huge containment problem if you have dinosaurs getting off your island, Mike. And they're poisonous on top of that. Yeah. Okay. Wait, wait I, I forgot. Know. What was the third one? I don't know. What did I just say? What are the two we... Oh, the raptors and the copies. Yep. Oh, and the dinosaurs are uh, breeding and escape... Like, the raptors plot line of them... They're breeding on the island and escaping con- containment within the raptor pen. Which, you know, in the movie, in the movie, it was. Did it make sense in the movie? It did what make sense? How, how did the raptors get out of that, that lovely little prison they were in in the film to breed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't think you had an idea. So, in other words, no, it makes zero sense in the film. And that plot point in the film could have been cut and it wouldn't have changed the movie in any shape or form. How did they get out in the book? We haven't gotten there yet, but there is a way. Oh. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. in the first half of the book. I'll give you a hint. No, you said no. it yourself. They're in a chain link dog kennel. How do you think they got out? They just dig a hole and go under the fence. So they dug a hole in that yeah. barrier. There's no way they dug a hole out of that concrete fort they were in. I don't do think that... Know? There's no way. You'd have to take like a five-foot channel underneath it to get out. How do you know? All right. Yep, maybe they did dig their way out. I could I could go with that. Um, let's see. So we talked about the buildings. Talked about some of the characters. I guess we'll end it on... How about the, the tone real quick? Because I think the tone is pretty different. That I agree with for sure. Well, why don't you, you, you go with what you think and then I'll end it. And then we'll end this segment for today. <clears throat> well, just in the, from the very beginning, I mean, you have the whole re- guy getting torn apart. <laughs> Well, yeah. it's not getting torn apart. It comes into the hospital torn apart. Yeah, that R-rated. That's where I always think it would have to be R-rated <laughs> I right mean, there. That, that just pretty much sets the tone for the book right there. Um, yeah. Much different than the movie. I mean, you get that whole raptor scene. At yeah, the but end. it's not violent. But it's and not very violent. Yeah, we don't... Yeah, you're just not getting yeah, that. Yeah, you're not getting that. No. And He's you, not being torn. You don't... <laughs> because they went... Because Spielberg went the Jaws route of like... It's just, yeah, it doesn't have that impact. You don't get to see the reality of what is going on. And you don't really know, like, that scene fades out. You don't know what happened to the raptor. You only, we assume the guy died. Like, I think maybe Gennaro says he died, but I don't know. Yeah, but it's just a different, there's no finality to that moment. Whereas in the book, like, the kid's torn apart, still alive, barely. And then he dies Really a horrible death. Yeah, I mean, he, just, 
just reading that and the gruesomeness that. of that is just yeah. it really shows you what these animals are capable of and yeah, you're right. That does set a very different tone. Yeah, I mean, it's a much more you, adult. You also tone. see InGen employees lying about everything already. Yeah, right you, away at the yeah. beginning of the book, you know. So, yeah, I think there's a very different tone going on. Yeah, I mean, I think in the book there's definitely a level of secrecy. Mm-hmm. I mean, of greed. Yep. Uh, you know, of you know, we we said it already, but like Hammond really doesn't care, like. He knows, he, yeah, he cares about money, but he knows this happened. Yeah. And he lies about it. He lies yeah. to everybody about it. He lies well, to Gennaro. He himself from what I get the feeling. Yeah, he might. I think he's I, lying he to himself. <laughs> Kid just dropped dead. He got run over by Batco. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you just, it's it's just a very different level. Um, yeah, I mean, in all ways. I mean, you don't get, like, in the movie, really doesn't have that element of deceit, of deception, and really of greed, you know, kind of Trump and everything. Right. You know, I mean, Hammond is this lovable teddy bear in the film, and he's, you know, very dark character in, in the book. And yeah. not afraid to lie to everybody about what would be an extremely, you know, I mean, talk about lawsuits. I mean, the movie does have the whole lawsuit thing, but the book doesn't because, of course, he lies about it. But, I mean, you got animals that got out, killed three people, ripped them to shreds. But hey, the park's totally safe. Sure. Like, I mean, it's not dangerous, and you want a lot of guns on your island. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I think the tone is completely different. And I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a very different situation in the book, you know, or in the movie. The movie is, you know, the movie sets up that these animals are dangerous, but it doesn't give you that, I would say it doesn't really give you that Jaws vibe, even, of just the brutality of it. Right. Um, and yeah, you don't get those that lion, which I think is kind of important. Like InGen in the book is kind of an evil, shadowy organization. That's a good way to put it. Like they're shadowy, yeah. whereas they're not shadowy in the movie. They seem kind of more or less on the up and up. There's no evidence they're not. Yeah, no, I mean, right? Yeah. They're not. They're not like um, you know, uh, what's the the Terminator? I always think of Terminator when I think of evil corporations. Cyberdyne. Like they're not oh, cyber so like like book like book engine is kind of like Cyberdyne. Yeah. Right. Or uh, I think it's OCP and uh, Robocop. Well, yeah. Essentially. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, same type of thing of a, a corporation that just doesn't care. Yeah. And lies care about it. About money. So about yeah. Money, money. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, I think that was pretty good. So you know, that's that's kind of what we think so far. We're we're halfway through. I mean, I've read the book a lot, and Mike here's on his first read through, and. Yep. Um, we do have a more in-depth breakdown on the, the Missing Copies podcast, and I want to thank Brad for letting us do this segment on the Jurassic Park podcast and for all he does for the Jurassic Park fan community. It really is quite wonderful. And, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, until our next segment, um, you know, keep up the good work, Brad, and check us out over at the Missing Copies uh, on Thursdays as a companion piece. This week in the Audio Lab, we're going to hear from none other than Jeff Goldblum yet again, this time with a look back at his near dismissal from the original Jurassic Park 
Let's check it out. Mr. Steven Spielberg, I loved, you know. I got a call about, oh, you could, you're you gonna meet, uh, Steven Spielberg wants to meet you on this. Read the book first, read that Michael Crichton book. Ian Malcolm, wow. Smart, funny, interesting character. Listen, if there's one thing the history of evolution has taught us, it's that life will not be contained. Life breaks free, it expands to new territories, and it crashes through barriers painfully, maybe even dangerously, but, uh, well, there it is. He was so nice, he said, oh, you know, I've enjoyed you, I said, me, you, and da, da, da. And he said, you know, there's a sort of movement afoot with our little committee here as we're rewriting another version of the script to have that part removed from the script. So since we've had this meeting, there's this little wrinkle that may make this, render this moot. I kind of said, well, gee, I, you know, I felt like I had to advocate. I, anyway, I felt moved to advocate for my inclusion. I said, well, what do I know, you know, about storytelling compared to you? But I tell you, I think that he said, yeah, we want to get, there's a, the people want to make that character sort of included into, melded into the uh, uh, Sam Neill character. I don't think Sam Neill was doing it yet, but the Alan Grant character. I said, no, 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 I think keep that character, but I, I don't know, whatever I said. Anyway, it turned out that I got to be in it, and, um, and that's the way it uh, goes. Man, so so what do you think? Do you think Jurassic Park would have been okay without Dr. Ian Malcolm? I mean, certainly other characters from the novel were melded into a combination of characters from the film, and it seemed to have worked fine. Uh, Justin and Mike may say differently, but I think it worked as a whole. Um, as far as taking Malcolm out completely, I just, I feel like that would have been a mistake. Obviously, they realized it would have been a bad idea, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, it's hard to say because he basically doesn't do much more than Grant and company do. You know, they all deny that this would have been a good idea for this park's existence. And he does the same thing. But he came away with some of the most iconic lines and imagery and style from Jurassic Park. I mean, we wouldn't have had the Lost World novel or film if it weren't for his inclusion in this film. Uh, we wouldn't have had so many amazing moments to quote. I, I don't go one single day without a quote from Malcolm. Uh, but the bigger question is, would this film have even worked or, or been as big of a success? You know, made as much money? Uh, I don't know. It's really hard to say. Uh, if he was not in this movie, would it have been Jurassic Park? Um, I'd really love to hear all your thoughts on how this film would have been without him, without Ian Malcolm and all his theories and chaos and great lines and everything. Give us a call on our voicemail line, 732-825-7763. Just leave a message there, or if you want to leave us a voice memo or a note, you can email them to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. I'd love to hear it. Make sure to visit JurassicParkPodcast.com to find all our past episodes, brand new news articles, information on how to contact us, and much more. It's a great source for everything related to the podcast, and of course, Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. Head to JurassicParkPodcast.com and help us build a great community. Thanks for listening to the 145th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. Of course, a big thanks to Arjun for episode 20 of Extinction Level Jurassic Park. I just love the mood that he has set 
in each and every one of these episodes of ELJP, I, I really can see each of these episodes play out like a movie, just playing back and forth between Joe Johnston's directing in Jurassic Park 3 and Arjun's work here in Extinction Level. I just love it, guys. Um, I hope you can tell. I can't forget to thank Justin and Mike for their analysis on whether or not this film holds up to the book. I honestly think it is a great point of discussion because when you write a book as good as Jurassic Park and the movie changes and does things so differently, maybe it is a letdown for some or potentially not as good as it could have been. I don't know. I love it either way, but thanks guys. Lastly, thanks to Aaron for joining me here in the news segment. What do you all think? Do you, do you like the team up in the news? Let us know on Twitter or send us an email or a voicemail. We'd love to hear. If you want to interact with us, we do most of our work over on Twitter at Jurassic Park Pod. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Jurassic Park Podcast. And our Instagram handle is at Jurassic Park Podcast. You can listen to us via iTunes, Google Play, Podomatic, YouTube, our website, or wherever else podcasts are found. So make sure to subscribe to automatically get new episodes every week. If you haven't already, please give us a five-star review in iTunes or a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. It will seriously help out our rankings and make it easier for fans like you to find us. We're usually spotted commenting on the Jurassic Park subreddit as Jurassic Park Podcast. Don't forget to check out JurassicParkPodcast.com for all the links you heard here today. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us with any news stories, MP3s, comments, or if you want to debut a segment of your own, send them to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. Or you can submit questions directly on our website contact form. If you'd like to record something for the show, send it in to us and we'll feature it in an upcoming episode. If you don't have any way to record, you can give our voicemail line a call and leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Thanks for listening and enjoy. No, I'm, I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. Five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now.